0: Hey, welcome to Night School. I just saw an article. An article came out. An article about a study. And it said that swearing shows more intelligence. Studies show that people who swear are more honest and intelligent, is what it said. A little late, because that ship sailed. What that reminds me of is, uh, you know, I've said this before, where, You know, a firm handshake and eye contact. Oh, if you want to impress somebody, or if you want to communicate character and integrity, if you're doing a business deal, if you're trying to sell somebody something, if you're a salesman, make steady eye contact, and when you shake their hand, use a firm handshake. Like all of these little tips and tricks that we all know by now. They lose their value when everybody knows that you are doing that to give that impression. Like I think a firm handshake is good because a weak handshake is weird. But everybody at some point learned those little techniques. Like everybody learned that those are sales techniques. So when somebody does them, it doesn't communicate character. It doesn't communicate integrity. It doesn't communicate honesty. You have to use other judgments to figure that out. You have to use your intuition. Because every salesman at some point learned that, oh, you shake the hand, uh, you give them a firm handshake, and you make eye contact, and you say this, and you do that, and that's what communicates integrity. And once everybody knows that, it loses its value. Swearing used to be similar. You know, swearing used to be something that you do to communicate. You know, I'm not playing by these silly rules that say certain words can't be used. That certain words are are inappropriate. Like, I'm not going to play by those rules that say that because there's an absurdity to that. And on top of that, you know, it's simply a point of emphasis. Like, when you want to emphasize something... Or when you're speaking from the heart, you might swear. It's why when somebody's angry, they're more likely to swear. Because it's coming from the heart. It's how they actually feel in that moment. Swearing used to be that way. It did used to communicate honesty. It used to, it used to be raw. Like you're getting somebody's raw feelings about something if they're swearing. But kind of like these sales techniques, at some point people learned that that was a cheat code. People started swearing too much. And they also realized that that was a cheat code. Like if you want to make people think you're being honest, or if you want to make people think that you're a little bit rebellious, you swear. Because, I mean, as a kid I learned at a young age that those words don't literally mean what they're referring to. Like, yeah, there's something about us that realizes, like, sex is not part of polite discourse. And I don't think that's just, you know, Victorian repression. I don't think that's just people trying to... I don't know what that is, but I think there is something inside of us that realizes, like, things that go on in the bathroom and things that go on in the bedroom... Just it doesn't feel right to talk about them explicitly, and so our swear words correspond with that. We're like "fucking," you know, it refers to sex, but of course we don't use it that. Like, like you know, when you, when you emphasize a word by saying, "Oh, that's fucking cool," you know, sex isn't even a part of what's on your mind when you do that. Just like when you say, "That's bullshit," you're not thinking about what a bull does. You're not thinking about a bull's bathroom habits when you say that. But the words themselves come from that. They come from the idea that these are things that you don't talk about in polite conversation, which is why curse words come from those ideas. But when you use them, you're not referring to those things at all. So as a kid, you realize that. You realize that these words don't actually represent their origin. And you also realize that, oh, this is just a way to emphasize things. Like, when you say, that's fucking cool, you're just putting the word cool in bold. Instead of be, instead of saying, like, that's cool. Instead of just putting too much emphasis on the word cool, if you put fuck in, in front of it, you make it bold. And... You know, one of the reasons why swearing is attractive is because you realize that there's an absurdity to these guidelines and rules. Where there's nothing evil or wrong or truly even that inappropriate about using these words. But we've developed, we we developed these, these psychoses surrounding these things to where... You can't say that here. You can't say that on TV. Oh, you can say this, but not this. It's all very arbitrary. It's all a product of whatever the current psychosis is. And I think there's more to it than just that. Like I was saying, like, there's something about the roots of these words and the fact that they correspond to the bedroom and the bathroom in many cases that I think says something about our nature. Our nature that some of these biological functions to us don't feel appropriate to talk about. Like, I don't think that was just something somebody invented to be more morally pure. I think there is something inside of us that says, talking too explicitly about sex or going to the bathroom feels wrong. And that informed moral purity... That informed, you know, this Victorianism, this Puritanism. But I think it comes from a place that's more natural inside of us that says, don't talk about that. But, uh, you know, you realize that the way we go about that is very arbitrary. The way we police that. The idea that you could get in trouble for that, like in school, if you growing up being in school, you would get in trouble for swearing, which makes it more attractive, of course. It's a way of feeling rebellious. I'm saying the thing you're not supposed to say. You know, I was talking about Jerogan and banned words, and those are banned words in that situation. But those aren't words that hurt anybody's feelings. You know, those, those aren't words that have a history those words aren't used to categorize people so it's even more absurd that those were banned words and and now people don't really care you know so many people swear today that it's just really no big deal and one of the reasons people swear is because they learned that cheat code in the same way everybody learned that oh if you give somebody a firm handshake you're communicating that you you have character but the fact that people know that you can shake someone's hand firmly to communicate that actually takes away from that character. It doesn't take away from the character, but it becomes less reliable. It's like what I've said about used car salesmen. Where the used car salesman you have to worry about is the guy who's really slick. The one that you don't have to worry about is the one that's obvious. Like the used car salesman with a fake tan and a comb over. You know what he is right away. It's the one who seems more slick and impressive and believable that you have to worry about. Because that's the one that will trick you. That's the one who's better at what he's doing. So if somebody, you know, does something that obviously doesn't communicate character, you're like, okay, well, I, I I know what that guy's all about. But someone who's learned all the tips and tricks, that's you know, of more concern. But going back to swearing, at some point people learned that it was a cheat code. If you swear, you seem more passionate. It seems more important. It seems more honest. And as our culture has gotten more comfortable with some of these casual curse words... Like, it used to be where if somebody said, fuck in... Like, you would never say that around your parents... Now it doesn't really matter as much. Depending on who your parents are, you know, people are way more comfortable with that word. You hear shit all the time. You know, people are just more comfortable with it, and more people do it. But a few years ago, I started to to make an effort to swear less. Because my entire life, I I thought nothing of it, and I swore a lot. But I just got this feeling inside some years back, and it goes back further. Like, I think about when I was in college... We had our lectures, which included like a larger group of people. And then we would break down twice a week into these smaller groups that were called seminar. Seminar. And in seminar, it was, I don't know, 20, 30 people who would get together to discuss the books and whatever it was we were studying. But it was also this free-for-all. And I talked about this a little while back because there was a guy in one of my seminars who was in a band. He was in some highly local what we call highly local pop-punk emo band. They weren't popular. They were just some local band. But because it, because there was this free-for-all element to these discussions, he would talk all the time about his band. And because most of the people in that room had never been in a band or even, you know, to them, like, a band was a big thing. Like, just having a band was foreign to them so he would he would use he, he was very extroverted and he would use seminar as an opportunity to talk about his band like oh we did this at practice yesterday oh yeah that reminds me of my band you know everything was everything he said was about his band and yeah he was ex- he was excited about his band i don't hate the guy for it but it was obnoxious but anyway so people could do that they could just in these seminars they could talk like that and you know in one of them there was this girl in she had a twin sister and they were both lesbians and i think they had like i don't know i don't know what their background was but being at a liberal arts college was a new frontier for them and i had a class with this girl and she talked all the time in the seminar and took advantage of the free for all element but she swore continuously everything was that's like a fucking I thought this was fucking, and it was too bold. Like, you can tell, like, like there's a natural way to swear. There is a natural way to curse, where it just, it flows seamlessly with whatever it is you're saying, and it comes across organic and natural. This girl, like, you could tell that she was liberated by the fact that she could swear for the first time, and some people go to college and they learn, especially a liberal arts college, and they realize they're not going to get in trouble for doing that. The teacher's not going to punish me. There's no such thing as detention or suspension for doing that here. Hey, sometimes the professor does it. Oh, he's dude. My professor's so honest and cool. He swears. People, that's a cheap. Uh, it's a cheap thrill. <laughs> you know, it's a cheap thrill when you realize, oh, dude, it's so cool that my professor swears because chances are he's using that as a cheat code himself to like to get you to like him to to make himself seem more authentic. Hey, I'm not like other teachers. I'm not like other teachers. I I use I drop F bombs. I'm not like other teachers. You know, it's sort of a cheat code in and of itself. But students learn they can do that too. And so this girl, like she, you could tell she felt liberated by the fact that she could just swear in front of her teacher, and so she did it all the time, and it it felt completely unnatural. It was too bold. It was like all caps. Like if she was typing, it would be like you're typing a sentence, then you write, FUCKING COOL. I thought that was FUCKING INTERESTING. It's like if you suddenly just type that that one word in all caps, and you're like, whoa, wh- wh- why are you doing that? So even though she felt liberated, you could tell she was imprisoned. She was incarcerated by her cursing, because she couldn't stop doing it, and she talked a lot. She was one of those people, like the guy in the band, where it was clearly an opportunity to take the mic whenever possible, and I became aware of it quickly, and it... It didn't make me hate her or anything. It made me very self-conscious of my own swearing. Whenever I would hear her swear, I would think to myself, do I sound like that? Am I doing that when I swear? And eventually, everyone became aware of it. Everyone in the class became aware of the fact that she does this. And I remember there was this one moment where she was talking about something, and she she dropped an F-bomb completely inappropriately, when talking about a book or something, or, you know, she was very opinionated, she was very political, and so she would swear when she talked about that, and that'll get me into my next point, but at one point, the professor, who was like this, you know, he was a gay man, he a very slick, put-together gay man, like, he had one of those bald heads that was completely shiny, he would wear a really nice suit, great guy, I liked, he was one of my favorite professors, and uh, so he was very slick, like he didn't swear, you know, even though he could have, but he, he was like this very slick, you know, 40, 50 year old gay man. But even though he didn't have to, he you, you could tell it was important for him to communicate a degree of professionalism. Like he took being a professor seriously, and he presented himself that way, like he didn't have to wear nice suits. No professors at my college wore nice suits or anything like that, but he did. And there was one point, though, where, like, this girl, she dropped, like, it was like she she went too far, and she just, she dropped one of her F-bombs, and, uh, which I hate, I hate that phrase, F-bomb. I'm saying it sarcastically, I guess, but, and I, f- I remember he just, like, he goes, <laughs> and he rolled his eyes really dramatically, and I just remember it was funny, because it was, like, it was just, she finally reached that point where he just had to go, like, oh, you just, you just keep doing it. You can't stop, but she would do it about politics a lot, and I think that was one of the reasons I was so aware of it, is she would insert her political opinions into everything, and people did less of that then. This is probably like 2006, 2007, I don't know what year, and people did less of that, like they inserted their politics, even at a liberal arts college like Evergreen, they did it less than they do now. And one of the, you know, one of the reasons why I've made an effort to swear less myself is I noticed that it's become very political. Like when someone wants to communicate that they care, when they want to signal something, they'll bold it. They'll emphasize it by swearing, but it often sounds unnatural and inorganic. Trump's felt a fucking asshole. Fuck you. I started to notice that, where people, they wanted to communicate how passionate they were about a given issue by swearing about it. Fuck him. If you think that, fuck you. The idea was like, this is such an obvious thing, you know... Having the right opinion about this is so obvious that we don't even need to discuss it or have tact. We just say, fuck him. Fuck that. And people who agree with that person are like, yeah, he just boiled it all down. That's all you need to say. And another good example of this was last year, I think it was. They released these posters for a college campus. I think the CDC actually made these. I know it was some otherwise, quote-unquote, respectable institution. They made these professional posters telling people to wear masks. or, or to get No, it was to get the VAC. I think it was both. I don't know. I think, I think it was the mask. I don't know. Who cares? It's all the same. But they released these posters to have at bus stops at this college campus, and they said, wear a fucking mask. These are for a college campus, and they're just posted around. Anybody walking around would see these. They're giant. And I was like, that's perfect. I was like, that is perfect, because that's exactly what these people do. Wear a fucking mask. That's how they talk. And I started to notice that with some of my liberal friends, going back five or six years, where they would talk that way. There'd be this really unnatural emphasis on certain points they cared about, and they would emphasize it by doing this all-caps swearing. And uh, it made me want to swear less. And, you know, in my approach to swearing is I've made an effort to do it less. And, I I mean, it wasn't just a response to that. It was just getting this feeling, like, seeing that girl back in college. I think that was, like, my first... The first time that I heard somebody swearing, and I thought, "Do I do that? Do I sound like her when I do that? Do I do it too much?" I don't want to sound like her, because she doesn't sound honest and smart. Like this, this poll or this, this uh, study coming out. Studies are such waste of money, but uh, time and money. But this study coming out saying, like we've learned that swearing communicates honesty and intelligence because what I heard from her back then in college was not honesty and intelligence what I saw was somebody signaling you know what I saw was somebody trying to it was the opposite of honesty it seemed extremely dishonest And at the time, I, was, I thought about that with myself. I was like, do I sound that way when I swear? And so that kind of started me feeling that way of being like, you know, maybe swearing isn't what we think it is. And then over the years, I've felt that way more and more. But it's not that I don't want to swear. Like, it's stupid to decide, oh, I'll never swear. It's stupid to become a Puritan about it. You know, really, it really is the Buddhist middle path where it's like the idea isn't to stop swearing entirely because it has its place. The idea isn't to become an ascetic or a Puritan about swearing. The idea is just to do it less, to set up a guideline, to remind yourself, to be like, oh, I don't need to do that all the time. I don't need to use that as a cheat code or a crutch to communicate that I care about something or I'm speaking from the raw. Because when everybody learns that that communicates honesty or speaking from the heart, it loses that impact. It starts coming across less honest. It starts coming across less heartfelt. And so I don't want to overuse it, but I also don't want to stop using it entirely. So you set up a guideline for yourself, and it's like if I set up that guideline, I'm going to do it less, which is the goal. The goal isn't to stop swearing, it's just to do it less. And I feel that that's actually succeeded for me. There's some things where you just have to stop doing them entirely. Like that wouldn't work with me in drinking. I had to stop drinking. It works with swearing. Because I can swear on occasion and it doesn't overtake me. It doesn't make my life worse. Some things you just have to stop doing entirely. But I wanted to do it less and setting up a guideline to be like, I'm gonna re- every time I swear, I'm going to remind myself. Or every time I find myself relying on curse words, I'm going to remind myself not to do it. And so when I do do it, it's fine. It's just like, hey, I swear less than I used to. And so seeing this study, it's funny because it's like this study comes out that swearing is a sign that you're more honest and intelligent at a time when it communicates less honesty and intelligence than it ever has in my lifetime. And by the time the study comes out saying that, you can tell that ship has sailed. Now people know. It's like eye contact and a firm handshake. People know that those are techniques used to persuade people. And once people know that, they lose their impact. Once people know that cursing is a way to persuade somebody... Or it has an effect on other people. That ship has sailed, and uh, it's just funny to me. It's like it's like now you know that it doesn't communicate that. The fact that a study and a new you know the fact that a newspaper article came out talking about this study shows that that's not true anymore. You can't acknowledge it. You can't look it in the eye. Things only have impact when they aren't acknowledged explicitly, when they aren't taught. But um, I'm going to segue here into, and I don't know, just the last thought on that is like, there is something political about swearing. I don't know what it is, but I started to notice it among liberals that I knew. Younger liberals like millennials and I don't know about Zomers, but I don't have enough experience with Zomers, but I noticed it with my my fellow millennials as the main millennial. I noticed it among my fellow millennials where it was sort of a shortcut instead of actually explaining yourself. You would just embolden your statements. You would you put a bold font on things by saying fuck shit. And that entered into the political dialogue where it was a way of communicating to other people, of signaling to other people that you really care about this. And this is, this is such a, a basic point. Like this is, this is something that requires no other discussion. So you can just say, fuck him or fuck that. No, no, no. Fuck him. he's a fucking, bleh. you know, it just became this sort of shortcut where you didn't have to explain or describe how what your opinion actually is. You could just swear. And that would communicate to the right people that I really care about this. Because that's what that is. I really care about this. But do you? I don't really care. Do you? Got to get me one of those Jackets. Got to get me a Melania jacket. I don't really care, do you? I don't really fucking care, do you? Sounds like you do. But segueing to another point, I want to continue a little more on that, you know, idea from last night, which goes back to an earlier episode, just an idea that I've had for years, which is, you know, one thief jealous of another thief's loot. One thief jealous of another thief's loot you one thief jealous of another thief's loot. People listen to music that sounds like that. <laughs> People listen to music that sounds like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about that with restaurants, you know, because I was talking recently about how capitalism allows us to simulate what it is to be a lord and how that's not such a bad thing. Like, it's nice that we live in a society where we don't have to, be a lord or not be a lord, to be served, to be treated like that. Even though it's a cheaper form of that thing. Like going to a hotel and staying in a hotel is what it's like. You're a guest. Oh, this place is fancy. And even cheap hotels try to look fancy. They find a cheap way to be fancy. A lot of restaurants... There's a lot of restaurants out there that aren't fancy, but they know the right decor to get. Like, they get cheap decor that looks fancy. It's like fake jewelry. There's a lot of restaurants and hotels where you go in them and it's like you're walking inside of a giant piece of fake jewelry. Because the idea is to communicate, this is fancy. You're a lord. When you stay at our hotel, you're the lord's guest. You're a noble. You're nobility. The Lord wanted you here. When you go to a restaurant, it's the same thing. Our servants will greet you and ask you what you want. They will cater to your every whim because you are a Lord in this moment. This hour that you are spending in this restaurant, you are a Lord. You are a Lord. You're a Lord. And some people get tricked into actually thinking they're one. They start thinking like a lord. Meanwhile, it's just a simulation. You know, just like prostitutes will give guys the GFE, the girlfriend experience, which is a real thing. That's a real thing I've heard about, where prostitutes will cuddle you and uh, stroke your hair. Stroke your hair. Because some guys want that sensitivity or intimacy. And they call it the girlfriend experience. Prostitutes will call it that. But it's not that. It's not the girlfriend experience. This isn't somebody who cares about you. But some guys are so hungry for that that they will pay a prostitute to do that. They'll, they might sleep with her, but they're also going to pay her to stroke his hair, to cuddle him. That's kind of what it is to go to a restaurant. You know, you're getting the Lord experience. You're getting the nobility experience. And that's the nice thing about capitalism is that you as a common citizen, if you have the money, you get to experience that. But you can also be tricked into thinking it's real and you can start ordering waiters around or demanding things of people. And that gets into what I'm talking about, which is when you go to a restaurant, you can easily be a thief jealous of another thief's loot. And just think about the psychology that goes into eating at a restaurant. Like think about what goes on in your mind. Where the, those people came in after us and they got served first. Those people ordered after us and they, their food came out first. Like think about how common that is. Even if you're not insane, the fact that your mind even goes there that you know that, like when you go into a restaurant, you start like, you, you come up with this system in your brain, like you start ordering things in your brain, not ordering food, but like you start organizing things in your brain, we're like, oh, those people came in after us, those people came in before us, oh, the waiter went over to them first, hey, those people got their water before we did, people care about that, people actually care about that, I've cared about that before. I've been really hungry at a restaurant before, and I've noticed that the waiter went over to those other people who came in after us, even if it was immediately after us, even if we're talking about a matter of seconds. Like, you walk through the, the front door of the restaurant, and those people were literally right behind you. The difference in time between, like, you sitting down and them was a matter of seconds. But you still know that the waiter went to them first. And that gets into what I was talking about recently about like how easy it is to get into this paranoid conspiracy thinking, where when that happens, like when you're in a restaurant and you notice that somebody who came in after you was served before you, you start thinking that it was deliberate. You start thinking that there's some kind of conspiracy against you. And yeah, maybe there are exceptions where the wait staff will deliberately make someone's life more difficult because they themselves were rude. You know, I'm sure that people at restaurants, like, if somebody's a problem, they'll kind of say, hey, that guy's being an asshole. I I swore. Oh, my God, he swore. But, you know, I'm sure that they will say to each other, you know, that guy's a problem. Don't do anything special for him or let him wait. You know, I'm sure people do that. But for the most part, nobody, there's no conspiracy. Like, when you and your family go into a restaurant, the staff doesn't get together and be like, hey, we're going to go serve those people first even though those people came in before them we're going to serve those people just to upset them it's a conspiracy but when that happens to you you start thinking that way you're like there must be a reason why i'm being uh the, the, you know there must be a reason why you know i'm 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 less of a lord they're not properly acknowledging my lord status those people mu- they must think those people are more important than me And if you're hungry, it sucks because you're not rational. But you'll do that even if you're not hungry. You're so excited for that treat. Oh, it's a treat. That meal. I'm so excited for that treat. Where even if you're not, you know, angry from hunger, which at that point, things are just, all bets are off. If someone's starving for food... All bets are off. That's when people get really screwed up at restaurants. Which you shouldn't be in that position anyway, you know. If you have the money, see, here's the thing. If you have the money to go to a restaurant, you should have the money to have a couple snacks around. And you should time it so that you're not going to be irrationally hungry at a restaurant. Because that's where people go insane. That's where people get into this feast or famine mindset where it's like, oh my God, they serve those other people. Oh, they're making us wait. Oh my God, we've been sitting here for 40 minutes. The Lord, me, has been sitting here for 40 minutes. And I haven't even, where's our appetizer? Oh my God, where's our appetizer? They brought waters over, but then they never came and took our or You know, think about how stressful that is. Here you have this experience that's supposed to be Supposed to be a real, uh, (laughs) you know, going to a restaurant is supposed to be this like um, this amazing thing that just feels good. It's pleasure. And think about how stressed out people get, and that's regular, that's normal. Like I've never worked in a restaurant, but talking to my friends who have, like, every single night somebody is doing something. Every single night somebody is stressed out. Somebody's upset. Somebody's demanding. So it's not like this is exceptional. And speaking from experience, I know what that is myself. Like growing up, like your family goes out to dinner, you know how easy it is to get sucked into that thinking. It's not just wealthy, entitled people. Because yeah, there's wealthy, entitled people who are like, I'm, you know, I demand good service because I'm paying good money. There's also people who don't have the money to go to restaurants very often who are that much more entitled to a high quality of service because the Lord's, being the Lord's guest is a more rare experience for them. So when they go out to eat, they really want to be treated like lords. So it's not just something that rich people do or poor people do or anything. It you know Something about going out to eat brings that out of all of us. And it's so easy to feel that way. Like one, if you're very, very hungry, you'll do that. Because you start seeing plates of food going to somebody else's table and you're like, I want that. Why isn't that coming to me first? But what amazes me is when people are in restaurants, how much they're aware of. Like I was saying, like they organize the entire situation in their mind where they're like, those people came in after those people and those people came in before us. Oh, those people are getting their food, but they came in before us, so that's Okay. It's okay, even though I'm feeling a degree of envy, even though I'm a thief jealous of that thief's loot, it's okay because they came in before us. Like, we come up with this system, and we do that automatically. And every time the waiter comes out with a, a tray of food, we're like looking at it, we're like, is that ours? Is that ours? Oh, no, it's going to them, but they came in before us, so it's okay that the tray of food is going to them. I'm still feeling a little bit jealous. I'm still feeling a little bit envious, but it's okay that that tray of food is going to them because they've been here a long time. But if those people had walked in a millisecond after you, if they got seated a millisecond after you, and that tray of food goes to them first, you go, why is it going to them? Why is it going to them? Women will be very vocal about this. And they'll talk amongst themselves. I've been at dinner before with women and they'll be like, oh, they came in after us and the tray of food's going to them. And then, But then they'll rationalize it where they'll be like, oh, but, you know, it, oh, it's probably something that's quicker to make. Like, you know, if, if they have any sanity at all, they'll be like, oh, well, it's, it's quicker to make that. What they ordered is quicker to make. Like think about how much is going on in people's minds when they're at a restaurant. Like how much evaluation, how how aware people are, but how they evaluate everything they're aware of. You're thinking about how long it takes to certain me- to make certain meals in order to justify your own envy and jealousy over somebody else getting served before you. Oh, I ordered a steak, and it looks like they ordered a hamburger. Looks good. Looks good. People will say that to each other. (laughs) This is just turning into a stand-up comedy bit about restaurants, but people will say that to other tables. Like someone will get a hamburger, and someone will say, like, oh, that looks good. What you ordered looks good. And that's a nice way of being envious. But it's still coming from the same place. It's still coming from the place of, oh that hamburger going to that person's table. Oh, I want that. I want that. I haven't gotten my meal yet. I want that. So you actually say to that person, looks good. Funny. But in your mind, you might think like, oh, there, those people came in after us, and they're getting served before us. Oh, but they got a hamburger. Whereas I got a steak. Oh, it takes longer to make my steak. You're thinking about like cooking times. (laughs) Here you're being served. Here you're, you know, simulating what it's like to live a luxurious lifestyle where servants wait on you. And you're sitting there thinking about cooking times in order to rationalize your envy. I mean, there's a reason I feel like a freaking alien when I go to restaurants. It's because of all this stuff and because I find myself thinking this way. Like, think about how many people go out to eat and leave feeling more upset. And as they're walking to the parking lot, they're grumbling about how the waiter did this or it wasn't that good. Oh, it was better. And that's the other thing. Oh, you know, my meal was good. Yeah, but it's better at this place. Oh, my pizza? I ate all of it and it was really good. But, you know, the pizza over at uh, Mario's. It's better. It's just better over there. Oh, that, that was good, but uh, you know, it's not the best that I've ever had. It was really good, but it's you know, it's not not quite as good as the place over here. You know, people think that way. Even if you were satisfied with your meal, and you're welcome to to have preferences, like I have preferences. I think that food is better at one place versus another place. But it's funny that our mind goes there immediately, even while people are eating. Like, I've been having a meal with somebody before, and you're like, how is it? And it's like, oh, it's good. Not as good as as over at Mario's. Not as good as the linguine at Mario's. So while they're enjoying it, they're thinking about (laughs) You know, they're thinking about the linguine at Mario's. If that doesn't tell you something about us, I don't know what will. That we do that all the time. I mean, the grass is greener at Mario's. Oh, the, the grass is so much greener over at Mario's. But people do that while they're eating a meal that they're enjoying. Like, it's one thing if it sucks. I mean, sometimes you get a meal that just flat out sucks. And I understand in that moment you're disappointed. You're like, oh, I'm paying for this. This experience sucks. I'm disappointed. But people are satisfied and they're still talking about wanting something else or how it's better somewhere else, complaining about the service. But that's, that's part of the Lord experience. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that when you pay to simulate what it is to be a lord, when you get that lord experience, you're not just paying to be a happy lord. You're paying because you get to evaluate everything as if you were a lord, which means being disappointed in service, which means being disappointed in your meal. Because as we know, lords are often disappointed. They're often demanding. So some people use that as an opportunity to be not a happy lord, but a demanding disappointed Lord and they'll walk to the parking lot your Lord experience is over and you're going home and people will talk to their family and be like, oh yeah you know it sucks you know I, I'm just disappointed my, my linguine was cold and not as good as it was at Mario's and you know did you notice that it, it, the service really sucked tonight? And did you notice that the waiter went to those people first? You know, people have all these grievances. Meanwhile, this is supposed to be this great experience, going out to eat. Oh, what do you go, what do you like to do? I like to go out to eat. Often, the people who feel that way are the harshest critics. Like they have the highest standards. The sort of person who's like, well, what are your hobbies? Well, I like to, I like to go out to eat. People who like that restaurant experience. Because there's a difference between people who like the restaurant experience versus people who just like food. Like I've always been uncomfortable in restaurants. So takeout is better. Like I would much, and you know, not all food lends itself to takeout. But there's a difference between simply enjoying food and enjoying what it is to go out to a restaurant. And there are some people who they enjoy going to a restaurant. The food is important in that experience, but it's also on the restaurant experience. It's this social thing. It's this atmosphere that they want to be in. But even though that's a passion for this person, they're often the most displeased when it doesn't meet their standards, which is funny. Whereas for me, I don't feel comfortable in restaurants I don't like to go to restaurants. I'll enjoy it if somebody wants to go to one. But uh, because I don't like to go to restaurants, it's not my preference. It's not my passion. I also don't hold them to that high of a standard. Like it takes a lot for me to go to a restaurant and feel disappointed. So even though I'm not comfortable and it's not my preference to go to them, I also don't judge them harshly. Because when you care about something, that's when you judge it harshly. Like, if you don't really, if you don't love music, you also don't hate it that much either. Like, if music is just something that you have on, like you just listen to the radio and you have it on, you know, you exist in this sort of neutral territory. But if you love music, that means you probably hate music too. It means that the music you don't like grates on you even more. So I'm very neutral about restaurants, where my standards aren't very high, and uh, it takes a lot to disappoint me. And I feel so detached when I'm at a restaurant that I don't get as sucked into the emotions of it. Like, even if I'm very hungry, and I can feel myself going to that place or I'm like, oh, they're getting served before us, or our meal sure has taken a long time, or the service sure is bad tonight. I, I kind of catch myself before I start to feel that way because the whole thing feels so foreign to me. I feel like such an alien in that situation that I think I catch myself. But, you know, I'm not that way about everything. There are other situations where I'm completely irrational, where I'm out of my mind. So... Uh, I'm not saying that I'm exempt from that way of being. I can just tell you that restaurants aren't that for me. Swearing, though. Swearing. You know, that's my... I'm really into swearing. Because you know what? Swearing communicates intelligence and honesty. Studies show that swearing communicates honesty and intelligence which is why I swear in restaurants which is why when the waiter comes over and says hi sir what would you like I say give me the fucking linguini give me the fucking linguini <laughs>